as we look at this Epiphany Sunday, um, we'll talk a little bit more about why it's called that a little later in the sermon, but um, the, the only place that it talks about the king's coming is in the book of Matthew, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So hear these words anew this day. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this and was, as was everyone in Jerusalem, called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for that is what the prophet wrote, O you, Bethlehem, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. May God give us understanding of these words in this day, the word of God for the people of God. So Epiphany is actually January 6th. There's a formula in how they figure that out. It marks the end of the Christmas season. It usually is celebrated on the nearest Sunday. So for this year, it was last Thursday. This is the closest Sunday, so here we are. Most of us, however, at this point, have put away our Christmas decorations at home. How many of you have everything put away? Okay, some. Well, I still have a six-foot inflatable snowman and a three-foot inflatable, inflatable penguin in my yard and lights, icicle lights on the front of my house. And since my kids put them up, I'm really hoping that they will take them back down. But I'm not sure how long I can be patient with that. I'll be honest here. We have tubs um, in the living room. We're waiting for some containers or things to put our lights away so that we don't, they don't come out in a tangled mess like they have every other year. I have goals. But I also want those tubs out of my living room. So we'll see what wins out. 
But when those tubs are all ready, they'll go back down in the basement and they'll be there to wait and ready for next year. So Christmas is about to be put away. But before we move on, I want us to linger a little bit with this story today, the story of the Magi. Sometimes they're translated wise ones, sometimes wise men, sometimes magi. We'll talk a little bit more about how that came to be in a little bit. Um, it's a familiar story and it blends into Christmas. Um, it's part of that season, right? Or is it? We tend There's a lot that we can talk about, about Epiphany and, and how it happened. We'll get into some of the history in just a few minutes, but first, I want to talk about us. We tend to have a, a lot of emphasis on material possessions in this time of year. You know, it, we receive gifts, we hopefully write thank you notes. We do those things. Um, often it takes me um, a while to get mine out. And so true confession. Um, so we have those material possessions, and so when I say gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they don't really have the impact that they would have had to those people at that time. It might, they might not seem extraordinary to us. When we think of gold, we think of what? Jewelry, and gold earrings, or a ring, my wedding ring is gold. Um, we think of frankincense and myrrh in our world where we use essential oils. Those are some that we use. Um, it's not a totally unfamiliar scent to us. Um, if it weren't the middle of a pandemic, I would bring some uh, containers I have of frankincense and myrrh and let you smell them, but that'll have to be a different day um, because you have to take your mask off to smell and that's not a good thing. So we think of those things as being readily available. But if we think back into that time in Bethlehem, that manger scene, um, we need to acknowledge something. That is that Mary and Joseph were poor peasants. In fact, everyone in Bethlehem was basically what we would call poor. This was not a mighty city with a lot of rich people. I read something that said, well, you can't hang Christmas lights on houses made of dirt, mud, and straw. And that's true. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh, these expensive items were definitely not in every household because poverty was the culture of the area. Imagine with me for a minute the people of Bethlehem seeing those wise ones come into town. What might they have been thinking about these rich travelers? It would have been obvious from their dress that they were somewhere from the Orient and they were kind of marching with their whole entourage into Bethlehem. And they had gifts with them that no one in town could afford. 
They had gifts with them that probably most of the people in town couldn't even imagine. Are you kind of getting the picture of what that might have been like? Here's one thing that we need to, to consider before we go further into this story, um, because we often understand this to take place in the, the manger, in the cave, in the whatever it was that we want to call the stable. Um, but actually, this takes place later. Several Years ago, I had a, a study that I did at my little house church that y'all know I, I lead on Sunday evenings. And the study was, what are the things about Christmas that aren't actually in the Bible? And so we looked at all of the scriptures. We, we put you know parallels of this is what's in Luke, and this is what's in uh, Matthew, and this is what's in Mark, and this is what's in John, and we looked at them, and um, I have to tell you, I have this sweet, sweet lady named Evelyn that's a part of my congregation, and Evelyn was so completely dismayed that nothing in there talked about a donkey. In her mind, Mary rode on a donkey into Bethlehem, and that donkey was there for the birth of Jesus, but if you look at the scripture, that's not actually there. So Evelyn was dismayed. So I, I tried each year as we talk about Christmas and Advent to mention a donkey because it, it's good for her heart for me to do that. But honestly, it's not in the story. As we look at the stories, we know that the shepherds and the angels were there in, in Bethlehem at the time of the birth, but the wise ones probably were not. Matthew says that they entered the house where Jesus was, not a cave or a stable where a manger would have been. This was later on. The best guess is that Jesus was about 18 months old, not an infant anymore. So that's something to think about. These wise ones, even though they might not have been kings, or they might have, to the Bethlehem peasants, the people there, they might as well have been. They were wise ones. And sometimes they're called magi, the coming of the magi, we hear it that way. This idea of magi connects with some other biblical stories as well. The most familiar one for us um, is about Daniel. Yeah, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was promoted to the rank of Magi when he served the Persian Empire. Um, they were kind of the astronomers and mystics and maybe scientists, and they were fascinated with the sky. They studied the sky. They studied everything um, to do with the sky to do with those stars. And when the star appeared and started doing funny things, um, they couldn't explain it. 
the idea of magi, as I said, is other places in the in the Old Testament, and so it's something to keep in mind. I was fascinated to hear about Daniel being one. I didn't remember that. So who were these wise ones? Here's a little bit of history to kind of wrap our minds around that. Um, after Jesus was born, the wise ones came to look for him, probably from an area which is now either Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, or Yemen. While they were often called the three kings, Matthew does not say how many there were or that they were kings. One theory is that they might have been kings of the Yemen um, because the kings of that country were actually Jews. Another thing I didn't know. Or they might not have been kings at all. Um, the, the guess of three is really only because they have three gifts. Not that there are necessarily only three of them. Although I have to admit that it blows my mind to think that there might have been more. Because I've always learned that, you know, be three kings of Orient honor. Bearing gifts we've traveled afar. But the reality is that these kings, magi, wise ones, wouldn't have traveled alone. They were well-to-do, they were rich in order to have the gifts that they had, and so they would have traveled with servants and animals and anything else you can possibly think of, large tents that they set up in the deserts, so they would have some um, some protection from the dry desert winds and the hot sun. So when I think of the we three kings of Orionar, I think these three kings on three camels going across the desert singing this song. But that's not quite historically what we see. But what we do know about these wise ones is they were definitely men of learning. The word magi comes from the Greek word, word megos. Um, and that's where the, the English word magic comes from, that root. Um, megos itself comes from an old Persian word, um, megapote. Um, it was a, a title given to priests in a sect of the ancient um, Persian religions such as Zoroastrianism or one of those. You know, that was, Magi was, was part of that. Today, if we saw these people, we would have called them astrologers. Um, because that was all part of their world of science. That was part of what went hand in hand together, looking at the stars, studying the stars, seeing how the world is affected by the stars. Um, and these magi would have followed the patterns of the star relig stars religiously. They would have known the night sky like the back of their hand. They would have probably as I said, been rich and held in high esteem in their own society um, and by people who, who knew them that might not be a part of their 
their country or religion. These were important individuals. And they had seen this unusual star in the sky and knew that it told of the birth of a special king. Now, how do they know that? Well, one of the things that we need to understand is they have this really deep curiosity about anything stars, anything in the night sky. Um, kind of, we would think of it very much in turn with our kind of um, spiritual curiosity, where we want to know about the mysteries of, of life with God and, and the hereafter and all the things around that. These men would have had that kind of curiosity um, and they may have been Jews, as I said before. There are some legends around them, you know, how there are about a lot of things. Um, and in these legends, sometimes they're given names. However, I will mention that we can't know if that's true. Because legends have some truth, but we don't know what. Um, so the three that, that were given names, um, Jasper or Casper, had a brown hair and a brown beard, or no beard, depends who you talk to. Um, often when he is pictured, he's wearing a green cloak and a gold crown um, with green jewels on it. They think that he is the king of Sheba, um, and he represents the frankincense that's brought to, to Jesus. Malquire um, has long white hair and a white beard and wears a gold cloak. He is the king of Arabia. Malchar represents the gold brought to Jesus. And then there's Malchazar, um, who has black skin and a black beard, or no beard, wears a purple cloak. He is the king of Tars in Egypt. Malchazar represents the gift of myrrh. Brought to Jesus. You see how this is kind of fed what we think of these, these individuals as we look back at what we've learned growing up. Um, we're told that Herod asked the wise ones to find Jesus and tell him where he was. Not so he could go and worship him, but we know what, what Herod had in mind. Um, and when these wise ones found Jesus and Mary. Um, they would have been living in a normal house, but not in the stable, 18 months old. They would have been a place for them to stay. Um, they gave their gifts to them. The gifts uh, might seem like really strange things to give a baby, but uh, there is some meaning behind what those gifts are. Gold is associated with kings and, and the belief that Jesus was ushered in as the king, the king of kings. It was a gift for royalty um, and could have been an acknowledgement of Jesus' royal line. I will point out that that gift of gold gave the young family money to go to Egypt, which they need to flee to Egypt soon. Frankincense is something used in worship in, um, in churches. It's an incense. 
Um, it represents spiritual cleansing. It's an expensive item that was burned as part of the worship in the temple. And it said that it represents Jesus's divinity. But that's not the only thing that frankincense is good for. Um, here are a few things that modern day knows about frankincense. Um, it helps reduce stress reactions and negative emotions. It helps boost the immune system and function and prevents illness. It may help fight cancer or deal with chemotherapy side effects. It's an astringent and can kill harmful germs and bacteria. It heals skin and prevents the signs of aging. I say bring it on <laughs> from that alone. It eases depression. It acts as a sleep aid and helps to decrease inflammation and pain. This incense that the king, the wise one, brought to Jesus. Myrrh was an expensive oil made um, of a resin that was used for perfume. Very, very expensive. Um, it was most commonly used to anoint the dead to help prevent the smell. Um, and kind of the people who make these connections say that maybe that was connected to the, the idea of Jesus' death. Um, I don't know. I do know that myrrh has antioxidant properties. It stimulates blood circulation. It helps treat cancer, promotes healthy skin. It aids in digestion. It treats parasitic infections and it improves brain functions. Um, it improves oral health, although I can't quite imagine how you do that. Um, Astringent properties, eliminates respiratory problems and relaxes muscles. So these gifts were things pointing to gifts that you would give a king, but also um, things that came from East Arabia and were used, at least frankincense and myrrh, medicinally, and still are. Um, so Epiphany is this festival of the revelation of Jesus in the text throughout the season, help us understand who Jesus was. The fact that these wise ones, these magi, these kings came to Jesus, points to who Jesus was. Even as an infant, even as a small child. Um, in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, there is no stable at all. One of those things that we had to figure out when we put all those things together. Um, Jesus was simply born in Bethlehem, very likely either in the home of Joseph's or one of Mary's relatives, we're not told. That's according to Matthew, but we know that there's this other story in the Gospel of Luke that talks about um, there being no room in the end. So we'll, I'm not gonna say that none of that is true. I think maybe both and, and when we look at the age that Jesus might have been at that time of the Magi visiting, it's very possible that both could be true. 
So the Magi finally arrive at Joseph's house. They find the child and Mary, his mother. Um, and the word that they use to talk about child isn't the same word they use to talk about infant. So that's another layer as to why they think he, Jesus was the age he was. And also that whole thing of Herod sending out his armies to kill children to and under fit into that as well. But one of the things that I also want to point out is that the scripture doesn't assign gender to those um, to those magi. That's something we have done. It makes sense that they would be men, but it is it doesn't explicitly say so. Um, sometime back, I ran across a, a meme um, that talked about. What if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men? Um, it said that if it were women, they would have asked directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, brought practical gifts um, like diapers, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and there would have been peace on them. Um, And I have to kind of chuckle because, you know, I think it depends on who tells the story as to how the story comes to us. What I really want us to look at it for just a, a moment or two here is this. Um, I want us to think about the gifts that we give and the gifts that we receive. Do we give practical gifts? Do we prefer practical gifts? Yeah. Um, I remember as a child, my mom thinking giving underwear for Christmas was a really good thing. Yeah, as a child, I didn't think that was such a good thing. Is it a, a mixed master that you need, or is it, you know, what kind of gifts do we give? This idea of this narrative in Matthew. The Magi arrive with these gifts, gold, fragrances, and myrrh. Um, and what, one of the things I notice about the gift giving that they do is they don't ask if Jesus is worthy of the gift. They don't comment on how humble or exceptional is his dwelling. Um, they don't ask to see his birth certificate or his green card. They don't ask anything about his circumstances because somehow they know. They simply kneel before Jesus and offer him them get their gifts. Gold is to a king, merge one who was mortal, and incense as an offering to God. And this shows me that these magi actually get who Jesus is, who Jesus will become. 
in this festival epiphany of epiphany we move from the from a season of kind of indulgence or christmas however we want to look at it a plenty for some a want whatever we move from that season we have this celebration and then do you guys know what comes next we come up to the season of Lent, which Ash Wednesday is March 2nd this year. So it's a little bit later than it has in recent years. But as we look at finishing up Christmas, we look at going toward Lent, I wonder what gifts we have to offer. What gifts do we have to offer to God? What gifts do we have to offer to each other? And what gifts do we have to offer to our neighbors? Isn't that an interesting thought? If you had to name three gifts that you have with you this day, what might you name? that for just a second you might not know what those are because you don't know what your gifts are god has equipped you to do the work that god has set before you i see this congregation embracing the outdoor pantry i see this congregation embracing making lunches or I don't even really know how many lunches we make each week. I lose count somewhere in after 150. But I know that we do more than that. We provide lunches that then go out to people who are need. We also have these apartments over here that soon we'll be having conversations on how we can be neighbors to our new neighbors that move in there. I want you to understand that the gifts that you have are just every bit as precious as gold, as precious as frankincense, and as precious as myrrh. They're gifts that you've developed over time, gifts that have been developed in you over time. God has given everyone in this room and out for those who are watching via Zoom and live stream, God has given you gifts as well. Gifts that are given to you to share with others. I think if we take away anything from Epiphany, the thing that we take away is that we are as equipped to share as whatever their names were. Because as we share, and as we share our gifts, we are honoring others just the way the wise men honored Jesus. And, and in this crazy mystery that is our faith, we can become the hands and feet of Jesus as we share with others. We can be marching into whatever our Bethlehem is today, and laying out for God things that we have to share. 
So my invitation is for you is to just think about what you're gifted in. Think about what you can share. Think about what you have that our world needs. What does our world hunger for, thirst for? What does our world need spiritually? What do we need spiritually? Just contemplate that as we're going to spend some time between now and Lent looking at the Gospel of John. Some of those stories. And that we'll rest in there for a few weeks, and then when we come up to Lent, we'll have a, another you know, study to look at, kind of like we did in Advent. I close with this prayer. God of all heaven and earth, from the breath of your love came this the creation of the world. We are amazed at the vast beauty of the night sky and the intimate nature of the love you have for us as your children. Be our daily star guiding our lives to search for the kingdom of love. May we always follow your light of truth in all that we do, forever trusting, forever hoping, forever believing in your word and your love. Lift our eyes at this time to see your eternal life shining brightly, leading us home, and changing our world. Amen. Mm -hmm.